Hey, everybody. How are you doing? Uh, before we get started today, uh, you, this, this service right here, second service in Dover, you've gotten a reputation as just being like stone cold, silent service, and that just proved it. All right, so we're going to do some practice here, all right, because I need you guys to, to start acting like you slept in all morning because we all know that's why you come to this service. So um, little things you can do. So um, depending on, on, like, uh, on your personality, you can just go, you can go like, mmm. Like, so that doesn't require much. You don't even have to open your mouth. But like if I said something really good, you could be like, mmm. And like, that would be helpful. Some of you, you're like really exuberant. You should be like yelling out, preach it, preacher. And like, man, that would be. And something happens. Like if you guys will, so I start preaching. And then you're like, you guys are like, and I'm like, Oh, man, I got to get out of here. Like, this is, what in the world's going on? I thought God was, and I'm, I'm like singing in my heart, Jesus, cast out all fear. Jesus, Jesus, be with me right now because I feel like I'm in front of the gates of hell. No. So listen, we need you to, we need you to act like, and maybe I'm just preaching so good, like God's just hitting you and you're like, man, God, I can't even handle the presence of God right now. But um, if that's the case, go, mm. And so at least I know something's going on. And we'll have a good time. All right, good. So here we go. Um, next Sunday, just a heads up for you, uh, what we try to do uh, is uh, to give you tools. We try to give you tools to help you to invite people to church. Because we're all, everyone's a little, every one of us is a little bit different. And some of us are very shy and very afraid to even tell people we go to church or afraid to invite people because you don't know how they're going to react. So next Sunday, uh, we're having for the kids... Bounce House Sunday. So at every location, we're going to have bounce houses set up, and that's going to be happening rain or shine. So here in Dover, if it's raining, we're going to set them up right in the lobby. And uh, the Welcome Center, we're going to set up right in the middle of the bounce house. So uh, you just be, it's going to be a great time. So that's happening rain or shine next week. And what this does for you is if you, you know, if you have any friends or anybody you've been wanting to, to invite to church, but you've been too afraid to invite them, you can go to them and say, oh, this is an event happening at our church next week. Uh, you should come to service with me, and then your kids can have a great time. So that's happening next week, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So just so you know that that's happening. Well, if you get your Bibles, open up to 1 Kings chapter 17. And uh, last Sunday, I was, in, I was in Plymouth, our Plymouth location, and got to hear Pastor Andrew preach from there, and it was a lot of fun. And and the Plymouth location is very responsive to me when I when I even giving the uh, taking up and receiving the offering. They were like all into it and so excited that we're here. So you guys are going to be the same today. And last Sunday, uh, I was able to give a college student, college age girl, her very first Bible, and uh, it was just great. She came up to me after service and said, uh, "You said you'd give away Bibles. Um, can I have one?" And so I went and got her. So imagine that. Um, many of us, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you've got more Bibles than you know what to do with. And you've got translations of the Bible you've never read before, you've never, you haven't read in years. And here's this person, college age, and we gave her her very first Bible. I thank you guys for giving so that we're able to do that. Uh, I, I saw people walking out with, uh, with Bibles today. If you don't have a Bible, we want to give you one for free. Because if you go to the Welcome Center... Just ask. The only thing you want to do is write your name on the inside because we give those away a lot of those things. And, um, and you don't want to steal someone else's Bible. Wouldn't that be 
bizarre, a real twist of fate there. So, um, so anyway, we invite you to do that, and uh, this morning is going to be a good time. So I know I've rebuked you a little bit for being New England, a uh, little New England, but uh, now we're going to have church, and we're going to have fun. So if you've never been to church before, you picked a good Sunday to go to, the ch- to, go to church for the very first time. I mean, the, with the band leading the music, and just it's a message today that I know God has for our church. And so if this is your first ever experience of church, it's going to be fun. So don't be nervous. Just kind of relax a little bit. And if you're trying to find out if Jesus is real, if, you know, if he can really help you, I, I want you to even re- begin right now asking him, hey, if you are real, I need you to move in my life. The Bible, one of the reasons that we love it, and one of the reasons we give it away is because it's not just a book, it's not just a religious text. It doesn't just have rules in it, um, it's not just history, but it is a powerful book that God uses to show us how, uh, how real he is, to show us how powerful he is, to show us how majestic he is, to show us how much he cares about us. So we want you to have that so you can read that and experience that for yourself. And the Bible's also full of real stories about real people who trusted God with their life, and God used them to do extraordinary things. And today we're starting a series uh, called Elijah about a man named Elijah who was a real guy who lived a real life, and God used to do real things, amazing things. And over these next few weeks, we're going to look at some of the things that God did. Elijah was a mighty man of God. The things he did and the ways that God used him were, were really hard to believe. And, and in the next few weeks, you might think like some of this is made up or embellished, but God really did these miracles. As we look at Elijah and we look at what um, God's done in his life, today what I want to do is really look at uh, as a setup for the series, and we're going to look at one verse and, and, and look at the life of Elijah. Who was this man? Where did he come from? And how was he in a place that God could use him in this great way? So um, this verse we're about to read is going sh- to show you all of the background that we know of Elijah. And we, we really know, we don't know anything except for where he came from. We don't know who his parents were. We have no idea of genealogy. Uh, we don't know how he became a prophet, how God called him. So this part we're about to read is the first time Elijah is mentioned in the Bible, and this is all of the background we have. So 1 Kings 17, we'll start reading at verse number 1. It says, Now Elijah, who is from Tishbe and Gilead, told King Ahab. Stop right there. That's all we know about Elijah. All of a sudden now, he is... Uh, he is on the scene, on a national level. And the Bible doesn't say where he came from, what training he had. It's just he is here now standing in front of the king. And this is our first introduction to him, and this is his backstory. So Elijah stands before King Ahab, who was a vicious, evil king. And he says, As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, the God I serve, There will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. So this guy out of nowhere pops in, stands before the king, says it's not going to rain 
Um, there won't even be dew. There won't be any moisture at all until I give the word, and then he just leaves. Just imagine the king at that moment. So here's this guy walks in. He's used to he's sitting on the throne. He's used to people groveling to him and 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 um, and uh, you know bowing down before him. And here's this guy, and he walks to the front and says this, and then leaves. And the king was stunned at that moment. Like, wait, what just happened? There was no one groveled. He didn't bring me any gifts. Where you know uh, what just happened? And just stunned. Who was that guy? Did he just threaten me? Like, what's going on here? I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that before where someone says something and you can't even believe they just said it and you're just, you're just left speechless. It happened to me, uh, that happened to me yesterday. I was in my yard and uh, next thing I knew, m- my neighbor used the F word at me and I was just stunned. Like, did they just curse at me? Like, what's, what do I do right now? And, and I, I just walked away and never said anything. But uh, so that's what this king's feeling like. Like, who is this guy that he would come and say this and do this? And from there, Elijah, he comes out of anonymity. He stands before the king. He makes this decree. And then, he, and then God brings him back into that place where no one knows who he, where he is and no one knows who he is. He doesn't step foot in front of King Ahab for, for over three years. And for that entire time, when he walked in and he said, it's not going to rain, it won't even do, it never did for over three years. There was a three-year drought. So here's this guy. We don't know his background. We don't know, other, we don't know where he came from other than the town. And he, it seems like he bursts onto the scene. Here he is coming into the narrative of, of this story of King Ahab and his wife Jezebel. And um, immediately, his words affect the physical climate. Uh, obviously, with there it being no rain and it being a three-year drought, it affects the political climate because the, the throne is now in turmoil. It affects the economic climate because without rain, they're not making any money. Without rain, people are, are going to be in poverty. People are going to starve. People are going to die. It affects the religious climate. Because King Ahab and his wife Jezebel were introducing uh, pagan gods to this nation. And they were trying to introduce, or, or they had been, they had definitely introduced, but they were trying to make their, their national worship the god of Baal and the god of, uh, of Asherah. And they were, and they were uh, having uh, people sacrifice their children to these gods. And they were, Jezebel was having all the prophets of the God of Israel killed and executed and murdered because they were trying to wipe out uh, just even the name of God, just erase it completely. And he comes in and he has upset all of that. He comes in, this unknown guy, speaks these few words, and he disrupts an entire nation. And you just think, like, where did that happen? Where did that courage come from? How... Who was this guy and what was his background that God could use him in that dramatic of a way, that God could use him in that, in that, in that, on that grand of a stage? He had to have known God and been following God for decades up until that point. The big thing about Elijah that we want to know is that before he ever entered in this moment of public ministry, Before this scene, he had a private walk with God. 
He, and it was because of his private walk with God and the character that God had developed in him and the, the life that he was living that God was able to use him in these public ways. And, and as we look at some of the miracles that God did through Elijah in the weeks to come, it was only because of his private walk that he was in a position for God to use him in an extraordinary way. For those of us here today, and you've made a decision to follow Jesus at some point in your life, and you're following him, you can look at that and, and, and really, if you're following Jesus, your prayer should be, God, may you use me in, that, in a way like that. May I have the faith and the courage to serve you like that. And, you know, Elijah was no different than you or, or I. He was a man. He was a human just like us. It was because of his walk with God that God was able to do what he did. So as we look at Elijah, like, it seems like he bursts on the scene. We have to realize that the character development, the relationship with God that he had, his understanding of miracles, that didn't happen overnight. God had been developing Elijah's character over a number of years for this moment and for this time in history. And for each of you, God is developing your character. He's developing you for the call he has on your life. There's a place and an assignment for your life. And God is working on you to cultivate it that you'll be in the place that you can walk out that call on your life. Now I want to present to you Exhibit A. This is a rock tumbler. And um, when we were kids, my, older, my younger sister asked for one of these for Christmas for like four years before she finally got one. And she was so excited. So if you, you don't know what this is, you put rocks in it and then they come out shiny, essentially is the short version. Um, and so she wanted one. She just saw the picture of the catalog. She asked for it every year and she finally got one. And there was two problems with this. Um, one, it is extremely loud. So my dad hated it. I mean, it's just obnoxiously loud. If you want to know what it's like, go home, put some rocks in your dryer and turn it on for a couple of hours. And, and that's what that's like. And it's just, it's just constant. Two, the second problem was it takes forever. And you think like on the picture, it's just like this and then some shiny stones next to it. And you think like, man, I can't wait to have that happen. And, and I was remembering back. So I think my sister got this when she was about 12 and I was, I was, or maybe 11, I was trying to remember back. And so in my notes, I started to write, like, you get this thing on for eight hours. And I'm like, I wonder how long it actually takes. So let me tell you. Step number one is the coarse grit. So you take your stones, you put it in, you get your coarse grit, and you turn it on, and you don't, you don't tumble it for eight hours. You tumble it for seven days. <laughs> Step number one, turn it on for seven days. And then the next part of the instruction is take them out, wash them, evaluate the stones. If you have to, put it on step number one, the coarse grit, for another seven days. This is not like rinse and repeat. So you're 14 days in, you still haven't crossed step number one. Step number two, the medium grit. So you clean them, you wash them, make sure there's no coarse grit in there because that'll damage the stones. Put in the medium grit. Plug it in, turn it on for another seven days. 
So you're, you're 14 days in, you're 21 days in, and, and these stones aren't shining. They're, you know, they're, they're pretty gross. And, and so uh, step number three, the fine grit. Finally, we're getting somewhere, you know, and, and you, you put it in, uh, clean it out, seven grit, and you plug it in, turn it on for another seven days. So if step one went good, we're at 21 days here, 21 days of your parents having to listen to this. And then it's step number four, the polish stage. And like, oh, man, thank goodness we're finally here. And so clean it all out. Make sure there's no grit in there at all because that'll damage your finish. Put it on a polish and just turn it on for another seven days. 28 days, this thing is running around the clock in your home and uh, to finally get to the place where you have a handful of shiny rocks. Now, in between services, someone met me in the lobby, and she said, I bought one of those rock tumblers for my kids. I know exactly what you mean. I threw it away. And I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure my mom threw ours away too. So 28 days to hold some shiny rocks in your hands. And listen, you think about God's process in your life and the work he's trying to do in your character and the work he's trying to do in your life. You've got to know it takes longer than you want it to. It's not, it's not always fun. It's not always glamorous. It's not like, hey, God, I want you to do this miracle in my life. I need the change. And then, bam, it's, it, the change happens. And we're looking at these pictures in the Sears catalog. Um, God rest his soul. And, and looking at these pictures in the Sears catalog, you're like, man, I want that. I want shiny rocks. I want a shiny life. I want God to do these things. And we show up at church three times, and we're like, hey, nothing happened. Nothing happened. No, it is a process that God takes us on. One of our core values in our church is heritage, and heritage doesn't happen overnight. I mean, unless Bob Oberg starts coming to the church, and then all of his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren start coming, but one of our core values is heritage, and we, it, there was a time we were, when we're still praying, but we'll have four generations of one family worshiping God together, because we don't want it to just to be about the older generation, and we don't just want it to be about the younger generation, we want it to be about heritage. And so here in Dover, like all of a sudden it's happening and, and we've got four generations of a family worshiping together. And uh, Plymouth, when I was there last week, I had someone come up and said, hey, I want to introduce you to my granddaughter and my great-grandson. And so and then it's just amazing that, that it's happening in our church. But for those of you who are 22 years old and you're single and this is your prayer, man, I want a heritage. You've got 60 years ahead of your life to live out heritage, to raise your kids in the house of God, to, be, to raise your grandparents in the house of God, and then to raise your great-grandchildren in the house of God. Like, it takes a time, and it's going to be a process for that core value to be lived out in your life. A great marriage doesn't happen overnight. It's not like you're going to go to counseling one time, everything's going to be fixed and solved, and, and, and it's going to happen, and great kids don't become that overnight. It is a long, arduous testing process to raise your children. Whatever it is God's calling you to do in your life, and whether that's in your career and you're believing God to move you into places of influence in your career, that won't happen overnight either because God wants to change your character and develop you to be in that place, in that place of influence, in that place of leadership. And you, you, you're like, well, why does it even matter? It's because you, as a follower of Jesus, are a representative of him to all of your employees that are underneath you. 
And God, if he's going to place you in that place of influence, he wants your character to be in a place where you represent him well to the people that work for you. So that way, you're not the big jerk that goes to church and they're like, I hate this guy. I hate working for this guy. There's no way I would ever go to his church or follow his God. And so he's going to hold you back from that promotion until you're in a place where you're going to represent him well in that, in that position. It is a process that he's bringing each and every single one of us on. And if you want to avoid that process, you will never... See, Jesus do the things in your life you're hoping for him to do, and you will never become the person Jesus has created you to be. You cannot avoid the process and end up, you know, you can't avoid the process and end up with the end product that you want. My sister, and she probably tried to make this process last in a week, it's just not going to happen. You have to allow Jesus to do the conviction he wants, to do the rebuking he wants, to do the testing he wants, to do the, to, to do the stretching he wants, because there'll come a time where you have to even do a great thing, but it's an uncomfortable thing. And you have to take that step in order for him to continue that process. In our church, we have a, a one-on-one discipleship thing that we have that's called follow and you can go to the website and sign up for that and what happens is um you sign up and it's um it's eight weeks long so you meet with a coach one hour every week for eight weeks so you meet for that one hour and what you're doing is you're talking about the book that you've gone through the previous week so it's five days five days out of seven days you're opening the book and you're filling in blanks on the scripture and you're answering questions about these bible stories and and in that eight weeks, it's in that eight-week process, God will do something in your life. Now, I've coached people through follow, and um, I'm sure probably every follow coach has kind of dealt with this. Uh, in the beginning of the process, some people are like, well, I already know this all. I've already read all the story. I already know all this. And they tune out of the, of the process. And follow is not about information, an information transfer. It is about allowing God to do something in your life through this coach and through this book over these eight weeks. So when I um, went, before we started follow here at this church, I was coached through follow myself by another pastor who lives in New York. And I have a Bible degree, he has a Bible degree, and so I've read all the Bible verses that are in this book, but I didn't go to him and say, hey, I already know all this stuff, so, you know, let's get, you know, I don't even know why we're doing this. No, because I understand that God wants to use this book in my life and use this pastor in my life as part of the process in just eight weeks. There's an eight-week process he wants to do in my life. So I go through the book, and this is probably two years ago, three years ago now, and God changed my life in a very distinct way. I don't have time to talk about it, but he changed my life during the follow coaching. So then when we, when we brought it to the church, I coached Mike Eunice, who's been a Christian for over 40 years, and, and, he, he, and he'll tell you this, and he said it before, that when he began to start it, he's like, I don't know what this young guy's going to teach me. I've been serving God longer than he's been alive, but he yielded himself to the process, and on the sixth week, we were sitting in a room in this church, and God changed his life forever, and he was stunned, and he, he just couldn't believe it. You, in your life, whether you sign up for follow, we encourage every single person to do it, um, God wants to use that as part of the process in your life to 
to work things out. And you can come to church and you think like, oh, this is kind of basic. Or you can come to be a part of following and think, oh, this is kind of basic. I already know it all. You don't know it all. Are you really going to sit in a place where you're like, I already know everything God wants me to know about this subject? Sometimes we show up to a sermon or a service and someone's preaching on a passage of scripture and we're like, like, oh, I've already heard like 15 sermons on this passage. And we tune out and we think like God can't, in his infinite wisdom and in his infinite ability and in his infinite power, able to do something new in your life today? Don't have that posture. We should always be on the edge of our seat saying, God, what are you going to do in me today? God, how are you going to change my life in today? God, how are you going to surprise me today? And it's in that edge of the seat process that, that God is able to move and, 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 and change and cultivate and, and do something powerful in your life. You don't want to miss out on that process Beauty comes out of the process that God wants to bring you on. So in that process that God's doing, there's three things we're going to look at. So um, first, a public ministry without a private walk hurts the kingdom of God. Second is a private walk without public ministry hinders the kingdom of God. And then lastly, the place where I want our church to be and each of you to be is that a private walk leading into public ministry advances the kingdom of God. Now let me explain these. First one, a public ministry without a private walk hurts the kingdom of God. And you think, well, what, like how could it, how could it hurt if you're in a place and you're doing good? Like how could that hurt the kingdom of God? It's because this leads to hypocrisy. When Jesus was on earth, he was confronting the two main religious groups of his day within Judaism, which were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And there's a bunch of times he rebuked them and corrected them, but uh, what he was often telling them is, your, your outside of your life does not match the inside of your life. To the outside, you're acting like you have it all together, but inward, because I'm the son of God, I know what's really in there, and there is nothing uh, godly in there. So in Mark 7, verse number 6, another time Jesus is confronting them, he says to them, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. It's easy. It's an easy thing to show up at church and raise your hands. It's an easy thing at church to, to spout scripture and to say all the right things, but inwardly there is, there is nothing godly in your heart and in, in your home. There is nothing godly then. You're acting in an ungodly way everywhere in your life except for this hour that you're in church. Uh, two Mondays ago, the, the staff and I were in uh, the staff and I were in Minnesota, and we were at a, uh, a conference at a church. We were just learning and trying to learn how to be um, uh, a church in many locations here in New Hampshire. And that Monday night, uh, the pastor was talking, and he was really good. And, and so I was taking notes on his message, and I, I've got this one journal that, that, I, that I've used for the last few years. Um, last three years. And so every time I'm in one of those conferences or one of those services, I, 
I take, I take notes in the same journal. I write my prayers in the same journal. And so he's talking, and he's talking about how when he was in ministry, and he started in ministry, and he, he, at this point I think he's been pastoring the church he's at for over 20 years. And he said when they were a staff pastor at another church, he and his wife were really good at pretending like everything was all right. So when they would show up to their small group, they could have just had this huge fight in the car, but as soon as they walk in, they're all smiles, and they'd even hold hands, and he'd put his arm around her, and nobody would ever know. When they go to church, I mean, they'd be fighting all week, and then they'd go to church, and, and they would just act like everything is okay, and nothing was wrong. But in private, the truth was they were fighting, with, they were fighting each other, and things were really bad, and he was acting in very ungodly ways. He was um, using his voice to speak in uh, in, 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 in ungodly ways. Now, um, as he was saying this, you know, M Michelle and I's relationship is really good. Like, even though she's been in Plymouth the last five weeks at, at that location, don't take that as a sign of anything. Um, we love each other, and, uh, and we hold hands, and, you know, and, and we're not perfect, um, but we, you, you know, but but we're honest about that, and I've shared my mistakes with you, and, and in first service, I shared one from yesterday, but for time, I won't share it with you guys here today. So um, we, um, so we, so yesterday, we, we left the house at like 6.30 in the morning to go do some things, and then at, in the evening, she had to go to a family event, and so at 10 o'clock at night, she was calling me on our way home, and in our conversation, I realized that I never went and picked up her order from Staples for her. She needed it to bring it to the Plymouth location today, and I never picked it up. So I, you know, I apologized to Plymouth, so they didn't have any banners today for their service because I never went to go pick it up. So when I told her this, it was just silence on the other, other end of the phone, and she's like, just, I, I, don't, I don't know, I don't understand. As her eyes turned red, she was unable to talk, and and so she didn't say anything. I'm like, I forgot to go to Staples. I'm so sorry. And she's like, no, you didn't. You're joking, right? I'm like, no. And it was just, I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang up the phone now so you can throw it and you can speak about me and I don't have to listen to it, okay? And it was just like, okay. And so I hung up the phone and I'm like, oh, no. And anyway, she got home. She still loved me. I was so grateful that she gave me any grace, but, but you know, but we, we, we have fights and we, and, and we're not perfect, but, um, but in other areas of my life, I mean, there's areas I really need to grow. So as he told this story about, about he and his wife and he, and I'm taking notes and he said, um, uh, you, you know, I would call a family meeting with my, with my wife and my kids and I would say, I was wrong. I need to change. And so I wrote that down in my, in my notes, just in, uh, in quotes. I was wrong. I need to change. When I finished that end quote, it was like God hit me in that seat in Minnesota. And, and I, I was not expecting it, but it just immediately God hit me. And I just had immediate tears flowing down my face as God convicted me in an area in my life that, uh, where I was in error, error and where I was um, and where I wasn't acting right. And so here I am sitting in Minnesota, and God's like, hey, Gagney, I got you now. And he's like, there's nowhere for you to go. You can't go home. Like, you're trapped here. Your plane's not for two days later. And he's just like, wound me up. And, and he did something in my life two weeks ago. We don't want to avoid that. 
We don't want to avoid his conviction, his, his correction, and, and his training. Because we end up, when we go through those moments, we're a more perfect representation of who he is. We're more beautiful in that process. And you're looking at me, you're like, wrong. But on the in- inside, I'm more beautiful. So we're, what happens is, when we have a public ministry without a private walk, we're not who we say we are. So you need to, I mean, are you, if you're looking at yourself, are you, do you privately pray? Do you privately read the Bible? Do you privately give? Do you privately trust God? Do you privately repent? Do you privately serve? Now, there's, oftentimes we have to do those things publicly, but we, we do them privately first before we do them publicly. Many people have walked away from God because of pastors or parents or leaders who fell into sin or left the ministry, or walked away from God. A public ministry without a private faith hinders the move of God. Second thing is that a private walk without public ministry hinders the kingdom of God. And this is where I think the majority of people in our church, if we're going to fall into one of these categories, this is where I think where most people are, because you've given your life to Jesus, you've You've made a decision to follow him, but because there's such cultural pressure that your faith should be a private faith and you should never talk about it, you don't know what to do. And so you stay silent when you should be saying something. And and you don't invite people to church because you're afraid you'll offend them, but you've got to do something with your private faith. James, who is the brother of Jesus, said this, faith without works is dead. So if you say you have a faith but don't ever do anything with it, do you really have a faith? It has to, your private walk has to turn into being used publicly. It has to. Jesus said it this way. He said, no one lights a lamp and then places it under a basket. Instead, the lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. Your private faith, those great things that God's done in your life, he wants that to be cast out to your workplace, to your community, to your family, so that they could see how great he is. They could see how powerful he is. And this private, this private walk that we have, it naturally grows into this public place in this public ministry. Think about the rock tumbler here again for a second, all right? You got this 28-day process, and I love this in the instructions when you're all done with this. This is in your book. This is in the instructions, so I'm not making this up. So you take this, you wash them, they're all shiny, and so here's what it says to do. Now, now that you get these shiny stones, it says, uh, admire them for a while, like, that's, that's it. Like, you just got into this 28-day process now. Admire them for a while. And, like, think about how stupid that is. Like, you just spent this grueling, annoying process. Um, and then that's, like, that's what you're going to do at the end of it, admire them for a while. So even the people at Rock Tumblr know, like, that is a sad life to live. And so the next line in it says, and then share them with your friends. You don't go through this entire process to just hold it in your hand. No, you, you admire it and, and, and you're thankful for what happens, but then you share it with your friends. And they may not be your friends after, like when they realize, like, oh, I thought you were cool. Like, and like hey, guys, look at my rocks. I made them myself. They're so shiny. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but this is like what God's done in our life. And so he's taken us in the process and we get a testimony. You, you know who you were last week. You know who you were five years ago. You're like, man, God has done something great in my life. And you're just going to hold that in church and be like, man, God's so good. 
he's been so good to me. No, you would never do that. You need to share that with your friend. It has to become something. Otherwise, it's, it's really sad. <laughs> when your private walk changes your life, that life should be shared with everyone for the glory of God. And it's him who's saying, hey, look at these beautiful things that I've done in people's lives. He begins to share it with the world. Where we want to be. It's not on either of those two situations, but we want to have a private walk that leads into public ministry because this advances the kingdom of God. Elijah, as we will see in this series, because of his life and how he lived his life, he brought a nation back to God. A nation. He accomplished, um, God accomplished great things through him. And if you're here today and you are not sure if, uh, you, you know, you don't follow Jesus, you're not sure why we care. This is why we care about everything. This is why we do everything we do here at the church. Not to get people to, not for any political reasons. We're not trying to get people to just adopt a set of religious beliefs. We're trying to help people to, to meet Jesus. You know, and when he's changed our life, we want other people to have the opportunity to have their lives changed by him like ours have. And at the very least, we want them to hear about how great he is, and then they can choose to reject that on their own if they want them to. And, th and that would be their choice. But we want people to be able to hear it. And when people see people who live like this, when people see people who know Jesus and follow Jesus on their own time and love Jesus, and then they live that way in public, when people see that, when people see people like you, they make the decision to follow Jesus. Because it's so rare, it's so powerful, it's so amazing. People who live like this are people who change their families. People who live like this are people who change the world. And if you think back to your life, your life was changed because of someone like this. They, they had the, the, the you, you saw, maybe you knew them for a while and you saw how they lived your life. You're like, man, this is a terrible job, but, but people, but this person is still like nice at this job. You, you, you experienced that person in your family. You knew what they were like before and then all of a sudden they start showing up at these family reunions and they're different. You're like, what in the world? What's happened in their life? And then, because their private life and because of how they lived their life, was, it got your attention. Then when they got to the place and said, hey, yeah, I go to church. You want to go to church with me? They were, they were like, you were like, yeah, I mean, I guess, sure. And you show up at church and, and, and you met Jesus and he changed your life. This is what Jesus wants for us. This is how he wants us to live. That we would know him and we'd follow him. Every day, it wouldn't just, we wouldn't just serve him during the Sunday service, but on Monday, we'd follow him. On Thursday afternoon, we'd follow him. On Friday night, we'd be following him. And then our private walk would always be following him. So you've got to ask yourself, where are you in this? Maybe you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, and 
That's the step you take today. Today, you know what, Jesus? I need you to take me on that process. I need you to change my life. You ask him to do that. You ask him to be your savior, to be your Lord, or, or, or to say you're in charge of my life. You ask him to forgive you. And he starts you now on that private walk, following him. Maybe you are in public ministry. You're at a workplace and you've told everybody you're a Christian or you're here serving uh, as a leader in the church or, or maybe you're here visiting from another church. You've got to ask and evaluate yourself. How is your private life? How is it really? Because if I know I ask you, you're going to give me the answer that you're going to say to your pastor. You're like, oh yeah, everything's good. <laughs> um, did you read the, the Bible this week? Yes, in three translations in four languages. Yeah, man, I've been reading it, and you're like just trying to put on a show. But how is it really? How is your heart to him for real? If you're living and you have a private faith and you're, you're spending time with God and he's doing something in your life, how can you make it public? Because it can't just be about you and your cup of coffee and your journal. It's got to be about the world. It's got to be about people who've never known him. So how can you make it public? How can you take your private walk and begin to use it for the benefit of other people? Can you serve at the church? Can you jump in and begin to use your gifts on a Sunday morning, a place where people are coming to know about him? Can you use it and begin to invite people to Bounce House Sunday or invite people to church and, or begin to tell people about your testimony and what God's done in your life? Is there any way you could take your private walk and allow God to use it in a public way? Maybe you're there and you're privately, you're, you're walking and, and you're open to God using it publicly, but you're just kind of in the shadow still and you're serving really behind the scenes everywhere. No one knows that you even go to this church, you know, but you're serving, you're involved in the ministry and you, in your heart, you're like, God, man, I'm ready. I'm ready to be a missionary. I'm ready for you to send me to a country in the harshest places where people uh, don't know you, and I'm ready to do it. Or, or God, I'm ready. I'll give my life to full-time ministry. Or, or, God, you know what? I'm ready to lead a team here at the church, and, but, but you're not giving me the opportunity. Listen, don't shortcut that process. Trust God in the process, and you just keep that private walk, and he will bring you to the front at his time. And I've got friends who just feel called to be pastors and it's just those doors aren't opening and I've got friends and it seems like they've been waiting 10 years and, and it's just it's not happening you've got to trust God in that that he has a process a refining that he's bringing you in and at his perfect timing it'll say and now here's this person and they're changing the world I want you to close your eyes and in a moment I'm going to pray for you and then in a moment uh, the band we're going to sing so you can spend this time talking to God and maybe writing down what he's speaking to you and what he's doing in your life but I just want you to, be, to imagine what is it going to feel like to finally be the person God's called you to be that your private life and your public life begin to align that you're not a hypocrite that you're not putting on a show for the church or you're not putting on a show for your friends but that when you lay your head down at night, you, you, you know, there's no shame there. There's no embarrassment there. There's no regret there. There's no guilt there that you 
are the same person in your private life as you are in your public life, that you're serving God faithfully in your private life as much as you say you are in your public life, how good will it feel to finally be free? Jesus, I pray for every single person here in every single location. Lord, in this series, we're going to see that Elijah, man, he had this private walk with you, and you called him into this public ministry. And it was not glitz and glamour, but it was punishment, and it was, and it was terror, and it was difficult. But God, the kingdom of God advanced because Elijah was on the inside who you called him to be publicly. I just pray for every single person in here that their life will align that their words will align with their heart. They won't be like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. God, they, they, that their, their actions will line up with their behaviors, God, that their, their church, the way they say, the way they act here at church, that's the way they'll act at work. And God, the way they act in ministry will be the way they act at home, that they will be followers of Jesus in every area of their life. God, for anyone in here who's never made a decision to follow you, I pray they they will, they will make that decision now to ask you to be their Lord, to ask you to forgive their sins, and Lord, they will tell you they'll believe in you and tell you that they'll follow you. We thank you, God, for saving every person. We thank you, God, for changing every single, single one of us. Thank you, God. You never give up. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.